Welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. And if you're new to the tribe, welcome, welcome. I do have a free gift for you, Sensitive Soul, and that's at SensitiveSoulGuide.com, all one word, SensitiveSoulGuide.com. And that is the Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide, the three ways of navigating your way to more peace, positivity, and personal power so you can actually fulfill your mission and do that with joy and and fun and boy could we use more fun these days right in the last two years <laughs> so um this week I have with me the wonderful Melissa Mayer, and she has a really neat book called Recovering My True Self. And unlike most people you would know, she's one of the people who donated a body part to a loved one, and I can't say that I've done that. Um, I've always really um, admired and um, been inspired by people who are so selfless that selfless that way. Now, she's also a holistic physical therapist, um, so she knows uh, a few things about holistic health and wellness, and um, she's a student of Course of Miracles, and uh, she is going to be discussing her divine wake-up uh, through all these events, and um, which led to a more powerful and deeper spiritual connection with herself and to spirit, and you can check out her book on Amazon, Recovering My True Self, and um, I am very, very pleased and thrilled that you're here, Melissa. I'm just going to unmute you, and we are set to go. All right, so let's click the button, Karen. There we go. <laughs> I'll open up the chat in case folks want to chat with Melissa. Hey, Melissa, how are hey, you? Hey, Karen, how are you? It's so lovely to be with you. Oh, same here, same here. So, yeah, walk, walk us through like this uh, awakening of yours and how this event, in terms of you know choosing to to donate a body part, you know, a loved one, how that all wrapped up in in the story and then why you decided, you know, to, to write the book. So I know that's like a three-part thing, but I'll, I'll let you take it away. <laughs> all right. Well, so it started, My we knew my husband was going to need a new kidney and get a kidney transplant at some point in his life. He had had um, a genetic condition and that he had protein in his urine from a young age. And so it was something that we knew, but we never knew what the progression was. It is a rare disease called dense disease. We've actually had the great fortune to to work with the researchers at Columbia to even understand more about it. So it's rare. So the progression was very unknown. And I had known him since high school. So we didn't really know when and how this was all going to happen, he is a physician himself, so he was a medical resident at the time, and I was pregnant. We were married, and he had started seeing a new nephrologist because his old one retired, and we were waiting to listen to the heartbeat of our baby, and he had just come from that appointment, and I knew something was on his mind, but he didn't want to talk mm. about it. He said, we're here for the baby, and I said, what's going on? And he said, well the new nephrologist says that we really have to start ramping up this process and looking into getting a donor and just go through this process of, of getting a transplant. So it was pretty shocking, the timing, but, you know, it wasn't completely out of nowhere. So I said, well, 
how do we get a donor? And he said, we get people tested. So a bunch of family and friends volunteered, which was amazing. Mm, wow. And, yeah. And so the inspiring. was me. And wow. without a doubt, I said that I wanted to be the donor, although I was pregnant. So I was a little reluctant of, you know, when this was going to happen, being pregnant. But at the same time, the nephrologist said, okay, you have a living, willing donor in your house. So we can kind of put this back on hold now that we went through this process and just monitor your creatinine really tightly and see if it's going to be six months, a year. And miraculously, it was seven years. So what? Yeah, I know. It was amazing. So I consider that the first of, of many, many miracles that I was able to have my first daughter. Two years later, I had my second daughter, my Aww. husband residency and we were able to be parents and we even moved out of New York City out to the east end of Long Island where we live now and just um, a beautiful beach community out in the Hamptons so it's it was amazing that we were able to you know not have to deal with that right then right right so the kids could kind of grow up with some sense of normalcy normalcy is that a word you know (laughs) Yeah, yeah, wow, amazing. Yeah, that amazing. Was, so that was amazing. And then uh, in 2018, so a few years ago, my husband came back from one of his appointments where they were monitoring him, and they said, all right, your creatinine is, is now approaching a number that's that's really high that your other body systems can be affected and you might need to be on dialysis. So let's, you know, so it, so we resumed the process, and then I was getting chest X-rays. He was getting CT scans, just all the things that you go through at Columbia Presbyterian, which was coincidentally my first job out of physical therapy school, and where my husband was monitored all those years. So we were in great hands, and but you know, I mean, it was a process. We were preparing. And leading up to that, in addition to all the preparations, I was, I mean, I've always been a student of metaphysics and studied Mm -hmm. holistics, but I was doing lots of just energy clearing work with various practitioners and just really doing a lot of um, what I call in my book, cleaning, cleaning out my closet, literally just kind of just doing, I was walking and meditating and just staying very, very focused on not letting my mind go astray, not letting the fear seep in deeper than it needed to and I think and I also started studying A Course in Miracles a lot deeper I had heard of it through the years uh, reading books by Louise Hay and Wayne Dyer and Marianne Williamson Mm -hmm. Uh, I never really dove into the text myself so I started doing that and that was an incredible opportunity to really go deeper Uh, it uses Christian language and the word God, which initially was a little um, off-putting for me because I liked using the word source and spirit, but right. I said, you know what, let's just, let's just go with this. You know, this is the time where I'm really needing support, spiritual support. So, so I started really going through the lessons day to day. And then right before the transplant, which was August 1st, I'd say the day before, I just had this moment of spiritual surrender. I just got on my knees and I said, God, if if that's who you are, I'm not sure. I need a miracle here. You know, I'm going to be put under, my husband's going to be put under, my children, our life. So that moment of surrender, I think, 
is what led to what I call in my book, having a divine wake up after they put me under and I woke up from surgery, I had felt just a monumental shift. I mean, it was profound. I woke up and, and before I opened my eyes and came into the physical room, I just felt source, spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, just kind of holding my hand saying, you got this. Mm. you're going to be okay your husband's going to be okay ultimately you're going to thrive from all of this so just hang in there we're with you here so yeah it was a really really miraculous miraculous process and I'm, I'm really grateful and thankfully I'm doing well my husband did really well I mean everything you know did turn out fine in the end if anything better because I wrote a book. I, I went so much deeper with my work. I was a physical therapist for many years, but I think the divine wake up gave me the courage and conviction to really do the deeper healing I've always wanted to do going into the field. And uh-huh. now I do that in my private healing practice and in my work and my writing through my book. So ultimately it was an obstacle that became an opportunity for growth, expansion, uh, transformation, and all sorts of wonderful things. <laughs> I love that. And uh, so many times we hear about people um, just really growing into their own, like like you said, recovering your true self, um, through what other people would say is an obstacle, something bad, it shouldn't happen, why me, you know, and going into this mm-hmm. victimhood and yeah. um, with, you know, your practice and, and the metaphys- you know, metaphysical, spiritual practice, um, just really entering it in, in a whole different way and exiting it uh, in a whole different way as well, <laughs> a deeper place, that's 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 fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful story. Um, now, uh, so that was which year that, that transplant? Was that 17, 2017? That was 2018. 18. Okay. Okay. Well, that, if there was any year, that's probably a good year to have done it. <laughs> yeah. Pre- I wouldn't pre- recommend COVID. it now, but. <laughs> COVID, thank goodness. But interestingly enough, when I was writing the epilogue, which you know, I finished the book during the pandemic in, in 2020. Uh, there was some interesting parallels um, because, you know, after, mm. the, after the transplant, you're, the, the, the word social distance never came up, but we were staying in New York City and the doctor said, he, you know, you can't go on the subway, you can't really go in, you know, parties and, and, and or big stadium events. I mean, you, you can't be around big groups of, mm. uh, in public. So it was the first time we started kind of contemplating where we were going to go, if it was exposure with too many people. So it was. Wow. And that was the risk of infection, right? Because of the drugs and everything that he had to be on to to take. Right. Okay. Being immunosuppressed. And of course, after the transplant, you're on the highest doses of the immunosuppression. And then over the three months, they start to slowly taper down because the first three months is the highest risk of rejection. So it's this balancing act of, you know, enough to make sure your immune system's depressed and not to reject, but not so low that you become just so vulnerable to diseases or, you know, infections that, that you can get in the community through exposure. So it was, and, you know, there was a long list of things that, that came with it. I mean, we, we live on the, 
out in the beach and it's, he said, they said no sun exposure. And if you're going to garden, oh, wow. you have gloves and just all these things that at first I was like, I mean, what's our, our life going to look like? We were raising backyard chickens with our children. And, <laughs> you, know, that, you know, we had to get rid of the chickens, you know, it was just like, oh, man, it was, yeah, it was a little kind of um, jarring at first to think what is our life going to look like. And I know you, um, your work circles a lot around highly sensitive people and sensitive mm. souls. You know, I, um, I'm a highly sensitive person. I, I was as a child. I mean, growing up, never knew that I was. People used to always call me sensitive, and it used to really trigger me and upset me. And yep. I used to feel people's energy, and, and I almost thought it was this curse that I had, that I was too sensitive and, too, you know, being in – Social, social situations was really challenging, but yep. then I had uh, started drinking in high school. And oh, really? Was, Interesting. Yeah, and drinking yeah. was this, what I thought was this wonderful tool. All of a sudden, I could just kind of numb all the stuff that I was feeling me around people, and it was kind of nice, and it was something that continued through college and through my 20s, living in San Francisco and New York City, and Interestingly enough, with the transplant, uh, the week before, I said, you know, I can't, I, I really can't be drinking right now. I, you know, I, we have this huge surgery coming up. I need to stay focused. And I was walking, meditating, doing all my energy clearing work. And I said, I have to just stay very, very focused. So then had the surgery, had the divine wake up, and afterward was so clear and connected and focused. And I said, I can't go back. I mean, I, my husband was advised not to drink for three months because of the immunosuppression, the medication. And I said, well, I'll do that with you because, you know, we would enjoy a glass of wine together. And I said, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be on the same page with you. Yeah. And I just, that time that I wasn't drinking my writing, the way I was channeling source energy, it just was so clear, the connection, and I said, I don't want to sacrifice this ever again. I realized that I was a highly sensitive person all those, all those years. I didn't really understand it, but now I did, and I do. So, And I realized it's you know, a gift, not a curse, and it's how I do my healing work with patients. It's how I've experienced so much healing. So it was kind of interesting how alcohol all those years was numbing it. And then when I stopped drinking after the surgery, it's like it opened up this whole new world of the gift of sensitivity and how it can be when you're not, when you know how to direct it and you know how to utilize it and you're not numbing it with alcohol or food for that matter. I was doing right. that as well. And then it would just kind of come out sideways the next day, you know, it would, because it was like, you know, repressed, and then it would come out in weird ways, and I just could never understand it, but now I do, and thank mm. God. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that piece with us. Um, I, I do find, you know, working with highly sensitive people that there's usually, at some point, unless they were, you know, really had very, very conscious parents, right, that taught them that sensitivity is their superpower, which most parents don't know about, um, they will gravitate to something to help them, you know, cope with, with this quote unquote curse and uh, alcohol is one of them for sure. Other uh, medications and drugs and things like that. And um, sugar, probably the biggest drug. 
you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a big drug, and it's more addictive than cocaine, apparently, uh, in the mice studies. Um, and then, you know, I was kind of a weirdo in that way, uh, in that, um, uh, and I say that in a, in a loving way, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, is, is that um, my addiction was perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, you could call it overgiving, all, all sorts of interesting things, because in our, my culture, Chinese culture, we, we don't drink, you know, we don't, I mean, the drug thing is not really there. Um, we don't really eat a lot of sugar. So, so there wasn't something like culturally, uh, but it was all about being a good girl and, you know, like being your best. And, and, and it was just as addictive, I have to say, than anybody else. I mean, you know, maybe I'd, I'm safer a driver, but <laughs> you know, than someone who's drinking. But uh, yeah, that. Thank you so much for pointing that out. That that is huge. Now, one of the things. Now, you don't know. I was going to ask you this, right? So <laughs> you may not know the answer to this, but just curious. So, in my travels, um, I've learned that sometimes when people go under, and this is a spiritual opportunity, as we've kind of all agreed to that, is that sometimes they get um, a soul exchange or a soul merger with a higher version of themselves. So just curious if that ever entered your mind or you thought about it, because people's personalities can really shift significantly after um, something like that. Wow, that's amazing i mean i that's what i felt i experienced i never heard it articulated that way um so i guess i mean it sounds super right on to what i experienced i definitely felt like i experienced a higher version of myself after the surgery i just felt i was lighter i mean just in in a way of just yeah i just felt more like lighthearted i just felt able to forgive easier and and it was hard to say what it was you know if it was because I went under anesthesia if it was because of the I'm a I go to the Long Island Buddhist Meditation Center so I've, I've worked you know within Buddhism just the karma of giving an organ I mean I, I or you know, maybe the deeper spiritual study of A Course in Miracles I mean it felt like it was a combination of lots of different things the preparation I had been doing but also the readiness to just myself up and just really step outside my comfort zone so I think it was just this a lot of things that just kind of came together but I love the way that you kind of articulated that and I would like to kind of study that and look deeper into into that thought process yes it's very interesting um I interviewed the author of walk-ins among us so this is called a walk-in walk-out situation potentially uh and other way of talking about a soul exchange so that the 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 natal soul the original soul that's in there basically grows the body up to a certain age if you will um and then the the next soul coming in has a huge mission normally and they don't want to go through the baby stage (laughs) so they come in and and in order to loosen if you will or make the exchange easier um going under anesthesia is one way sometimes the universe will create some sort of physical trauma like a motor vehicle accident something like that to jostle things up so the soul exchange can occur and in your case you know because you did so much healing work beforehand uh, sometimes what happens during a soul exchange people don't know that's happening is that that natal soul just hangs around hangs around because there's so much baggage that hasn't been healed yet and so the new soul coming in thinking it's coming in and starting a mission is like oh my god I have so much work to do here. <laughs> 
you know, wow. but in, in your I case, it just say, it seems like it was clear, like your natal soul, if, if you did have a soul exchange, was just like, hey, this woman's done so much clearing work. Natal soul's like, I'm good. See you later. You know, <laughs> uh, have fun in the body. <laughs> we're just, uh, you know, just, you know, kind of guessing around here. I'm not actually testing you, but, you know, it, it's pretty, it, it really sounds like, like, you know, a lot of people that have gone through these soul exchanges, especially through anesthesia um, or soul mergers where a higher version of yourself comes in, um, really have a different perspective. Like when I had my soul exchange um, years ago when I was really, really sick with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, what I noticed afterwards was the way I dealt with my family and relationships. Like I wasn't so attached to what they were doing or not doing. Like I could love them unconditionally much, much more because before it'd be, it'd be like, well, you got to do it this way. You have to do this diet. And, da, 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 da. and I was telling them what to do all the time. They just annoyed them to no end. And now I can kind of accept their decisions, which are different from mine, you know, but <laughs> I can just love them. And I don't know, it sounds like you are getting that bigger love space now too. Um, yeah. So there's less attachment, more kind of unconditional love just in general in, in your whole life and, and in your work. Would you say that? Is uh, accurate? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought all this up and we're having this conversation. And I'm definitely excited to uh, look at, look up that book and, and look deeper into this because this is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is pretty interesting. So um, now your website, which I just want to share with people, is melissamayer.org. So it's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-M-A-Y-E-R. Dot org, And you mentioned, you know, you are, you know, a professional healing practice. So can you tell us about, like, what is it that you do and who it is that you work with right now? Sure. So I have worked many years in traditional healthcare as a physical therapist. I worked at Columbia Presbyterian and in outpatient settings and home care settings. So I'd had many years of experience doing that. And then I had my children and took a little time off and really embraced attachment parenting and Waldorf education and really just was kind of healing my own inner child as I was being, as I was parenting my young children, which was a really profound process. So I couldn't really work with patients while I was doing that. Like I, I, I was just very all consumed with it. And then little by little, as my children got older, I started covering at a local outpatient clinic in town and just started getting back into work, which was great. And then, but as I was getting back into it, I said like the same things of years ago started coming up again, just being in a practice that was overscheduled and I was coming home just very overstimulated and feeling like I couldn't bring you know, my best version of myself to my patients because I was, Again, I'm a highly sensitive person and just felt like I couldn't connect with them or maybe the first couple ones I could, but then by the end of the day, I was so drained. So I identified those, you know, just kind of that situation again and said, I don't know where to go with all this. And then interestingly enough, after the transplant, I had gone back to yoga. It was my first class back. I'm a certified yoga teacher as well. And I was just doing a personal class that day. And the yoga teacher said, why don't you just start seeing patients in my, in my treatment room here? And I huh. said, that's a great idea. I can just 
work privately one-on-one -on -one with people, especially people that are injured doing yoga and get them back to their yoga practice. That's perfect. So I started doing that. And then a lot of my patients were like, you know, we can just come to your house because I had to pay rent. And then there was a little torn about how much I should be charging. And I said, well, if I work out of my home, I can charge them less because I don't have to have any like overhead fees. So as it just kind of continued, just naturally on its own, I started just getting more patients, seeing them out of my house. And then COVID happened and I didn't feel right about seeing them in my house with my family. So we had a basement and my husband's been wanting to renovate for so long. So I built and created this amazing healing space that I love and separate from my house, it has a separate entrance. And I mean, it's safe in terms of, you know, COVID infection, but at the same time, it just is the most perfect place that's evolved over the last few years as a place where I feel so grounded. I mean, it has this great earth energy to it. I can diffuse oils and I just have the freedom to just work with people one-on-one -on -one in a space that, you know, is created by me and just a place where I've done my work in, and my healing work. So I feel like I can really extend the healing to others. So I see people here in my space. They come to me uh, via referral from chiropractors or different practitioners in the area that I know, just contacts of people that I've met, people that have read hmm. the book, come to um, book events. So it, it, it's always really fortuitous how they find me and I find them. And it's great. They don't have to come necessarily three times a week for six to eight weeks in a traditional model. And a lot of patients, you know, they've, they've been there, done that. You know, they're like, I've been yeah. for my neck and my back. And I can tell they're ready to go deeper. And I'm kind of ready to go deeper with them and just really own what, what, what they're going through. So it's great. We can just form. We have a lot of freedom. So I can do lots of body work with them, lots of energy clearing and myofascial release and other sort of body works that I, that I see fit. And I also do acupuncture cupping, and I do yoga in terms of therapeutic exercises, and we always nice. have so I can, you know. Well, we'll just have that. to clone you and put you in every single town in America. How about that? <laughs> yes, <laughs> People are looking fun. for things like that locally. Yes. It's so challenging, especially with the whole COVID thing and everyone's doing everything through Zoom. And, you know, I mean, I love hands-on stuff. I really do. But even I don't even go to my massage therapist right now because, I mean, you know, clearly some of my favorite, very different ideological perceptions of mm -hmm. reality than I did. And we just didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. Um, so mm -hmm. I kind of went and forego, you know, going there, but, uh, I've since, you know, stepped up my own healing practice, which I think, you know, when, when you were working so, uh, prior to the surgery, I mean, you just really focused and worked diligently, you know, on your health. And sometimes, um, people I'm going on some sort of wild segue here to something else, but anyway, sometimes people just rely on others to fix them, you know, and what it sounds like is like in your space that you're doing like a co-creative process with the ideal client where, yes, you're doing a lot of work, you have this expertise and things like that, but they're ready to go deeper. And I'm sure you give them some home play. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank very well said. It's, it's, it's very co-creative because for, for years it, it was, I think a lot of us can relate to not owning our power because it's like, well, 
what I'm saying, I, I'm a healer and other people aren't like I'm better and they're not like how, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I struggled with that for a while and said, why am I a healer? And this person isn't, are we all healers? And then I realized, yeah, we are. And through doing a course of miracles and of course, in, in a course of miracles, it says you're no better and you're no worse. And we're all children of God and we're all here to extend love so I realized, you know, they're coming here to me and I'm extending love to them. And then that's connecting them to themselves and their source and their ability to heal themselves. So yes. I'm just yes. kind of, you know, I'm, I'm just creating the space and guiding them versus giving them, you know, this external power that, you know, I mean, I've heard, uh, you know, ego tries and spirit does. And, you know, mm, I, yeah, I, I like so, that. Like, yeah. yeah my, a strong ego power that could have the ability to heal them. And now I right. said, no, it's not at all. They, a lot of times get better just when they call me and they come here because yep. they're connected and then we co-create. And a lot of times it, I mean, it's one or two sessions and, and, and people feel great after that. And I give them lots of exercises to do on their own. And I say, try this out and, and, and go ahead and give me a call when you want to come back or when you're ready to go deeper or do more. So they can kind of really navigate it from there versus saying, like, you have to come back to me because I'm the source of your healing, you know, which sounded, never sounded right to me. <laughs> sounds very... Right, exactly. Know. Only I can heal you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, I have, I definitely have, like, a pet peeve on that kind of stuff, so at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, so tell us, uh, well, actually, I have, I have a personal question to ask you. So I'm, I'm looking on your website, org, and I see this uh, beautiful tattoo on your right arm. This is synchronicity. So tell us about that before I go on to ask my other questions. So synchronicity was, I mean, obviously, I think we're, a lot of us are we're familiar with the word meaningful coincidences and coined by Carl Jung. And when... I'd say this is the year, a year, maybe six, eight months before the transplant. I was just sitting. I opened my book with this story. I was sitting on the couch with my husband under a full moon in December, and I just said, I looked at him. I said, I'm going to write a book, and he looked at me. And I mean, he's just a very supportive person, and and he was yeah. just like, okay, you're going to write a book. And I said, yeah, I'm going to write a book. He said, what's it going to be about? And I said, I don't know. I just got this message that I'm going to write a book. And I was at the time doing, um, I was reading The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron and yes, doing a yes. 12-week. Yeah, so that you probably do. I was where I was going as a, as a 12-week um, course in creative recovery. So I had found that book very fortuitously um, from another book and from some other processes. So it was just like this roadmap that led me to that book. And then over the 12 weeks, doing the morning pages and the artist dates and just going to this really deep, deep place of creative recovery and, and watching my children and just being their creative. Then, because then, I had previous to that not considered myself a creative person. I said, I'm a scientific. Oh, really? you know, medicine kind of style person. Like that's, even though I love feel good and holistic, I just thought, you know, I didn't feel like I was, you know, artistic or a writer. It just, I felt like I was more of a science math person. So it was just, again, you know, we have these, you know, we have these perceptions uh, of ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this 
book was just kind of breaking through all of that and just being like showing me, see how your children are born with creativity? You're creative. And whether or not you're painting a picture or you're creating your life, we're all creating our lives. Uh-huh. Whether or not we have mm. professions in the arts or not, we're, we're creative. And I was really tapping into that. And it was, and at first I thought that's what I was going to write my book about, maybe just the process of my creative recovery. And I, after I had that premonition to write a book, I got the tattoo synchronicity because I wanted oh, okay. to tell everybody that I want to write a book. But at the same time, I had also got a message saying, you know, don't tell people yet. Just keep going with this. This is not for, you know, for you to shout from the rooftops. This is an internal process. So the tattoo is just kind of this way to, you know, to just kind of like celebrate with myself that I have this, uh, that I have this premonition and, I felt this road unfolding before me. So I got the tattoo and in Julie Cameron's book, she does you know, have a section on synchronicity and just feeling like I've had so many moments, I mean, the premonition, but also, you know, I mean, I think we all have stories about when the feather crosses our path or just moments where we hear a message, just those moments uh-huh. where connected. And I finally had a great word to describe all those situations that happened in my life and up to that moment. So that's where the tattoo came from. And that's where really my book was nurtured and fostered. And then several months later, when they said, it's time for your husband to have a kidney transplant, I thought to myself, well, I guess I have some content for my book now. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Creative recovery, you know, and, uh, and on the cover of the book, I don't know if you've seen the cover, but it's actually me in Sri Lanka. Um, oh, it is you. I, I was going to ask if that was you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's me on the quote-unquote spiritual mountaintop. Mm. Uh, two months, three months after the surgery, the surgery was August, and then that December, a friend of mine who I know from the temple from the Long Island Buddhist Meditation Center said, "Hey, we're 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 going to go to Sri Lanka. A group of us led by the." monk who leads the temple and he said you have to come with us and I said Don I'm helping <laughs> my kids it's Christmas time I had surgery two months ago I, I can't just pick up and go to Sri Lanka I'm trying to start this book that I want to write and and then I had that moment as I'm working on my book chapter one's called stepping outside your comfort zone <laughs> I'm looking at the title going really mm. did you just say no you know talk about outside your comfort zone take your own advice here so I said yes and it was the trip of a lifetime and as I was sitting on the bus driving all over the country with this amazing group of people I mean going to the forest monastery where um Bhantinanda that that was the monk where he studied and just all these incredible experiences and laughing and saying I almost said no to this and just realizing how how important it is that we say yes and how much it really propelled my book forward. The last chapter of my book is called Sri Lanka. And as I was sitting on the, the cover is at Mount Sigiri, I was sitting there and in this just deep moment of gratitude and peace and someone mm-hmm. on the trip took a picture of me and she showed it to me on the bus and said, I hope you don't mind, but you look so peaceful. And I just had to take a picture of you and I said, oh, my God, thank you. That's such a beautiful picture. And I emailed her, you know, a couple years later because writing a book takes a long time. But it's yeah. nice that uh, 
picture for the cover, and she said, of course, of course, the cover of the book. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I was like, I wonder if that's Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, sometimes pictures kind of, you know, when people take casual pictures, they're, you know, kind of blurry and, you know, whatever. And I, it's just so real. You know, it's just so real. And, uh, yes, you guys did a good job on that. <laughs> <laughs> Another moment of synchronicity, the way that oh, cover yeah. unfolded and the way the book unfolded. And it was such a therapeutic process, writing it mm. start to finish. I mean, I would always kind of consider myself more of an introverted person, which also why alcohol was worked for me mm-hmm. for a long time, because it made me more extroverted and, you know, and then kind of connecting and owning and saying it's okay to be introverted. You know, like there's a, there's a quiet power that can really come from introvertedness. So just being an introvert and writing a book, I mean, it, it's such a therapeutic process to just tell your story, start to finish the early days to realizing, you know, being younger and why I did the things I did kind of covering up my voice. But then when it slowly started to emerge, not understanding, and then leading up to the transplant and all the aftermath of, you know, um, of stopping drinking and going to Sri Lanka and just all the, all the in-betweens was just an incredibly, like I said, therapeutic process that I'm so grateful for. So the book became a, a process of healing for me and then an offering, you know, to others because as I was writing the book a couple of times and someone had even advised me to say, you know, people don't want to just read your story. They they want tools to help mm-hmm, them, mm-hmm. which, of course, you know, I understood that point. And at the end of the book, there is a toolbox. But I was also getting the message of where, you know, all the material of the book was coming from that said people will take from your story and then they will resonate with them will be how they can kind of find who they are. So the recovering your true self will allow people, when people read the story, they will be able to recover their true selves. Mm. So I kept the book in kind of that format because, I mean, I think we all have experienced, you know, when we tell people what to do and say, you know, it would be really good for you. And you can just <laughs> guess that, like, at that point, they're just going to... Their eyes glaze over. When <laughs> you say, I know what would be good for you, but when you can open yourself up and, and kind of tap into your vulnerability and say, here's how meditation changed my life here. How, you know, here's how these processes affected me because I was someone who struggled with this. But then when I silenced my mind, being in someone who is highly sensitive, especially to all the overactive thoughts in my mind, which of course is, you know, we all struggle with the human condition, but how that process was able to shift through meditation, through mindfulness, through A Course in Miracles. I think that is always more powerful than telling mm. people, here's what you need to do. So that was, right. that was the message I got about how to write the book that will ultimately help people, you know, in addition to helping me. Okay, cool. Now, what, are, what would you say, like, if, you know, before we – uh, and today is um, if you were to, if somebody was asking you, hey, Melissa, can I get some advice on my life? You know, I'm struggling with this or that. Um, what would you 
say if you were to, if they were asking you for advice and this person isn't necessarily a client of yours yet, is there some key things uh, either through your book or through your experience that you would like to share with our audience? Yes. So I would say, you know, Carl Jung said the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. So I would offer them, you know, just that, that point that you, you know, you becoming the best version of yourself will be the, the best for you, best for your relationships, and also the best for the world. So finding out how to do that, you, only you know how to do that. And that's why, well, as much as I tell people, you know, exercise and, 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 and eating right, I mean, all those things that we know. But when you start to meditate, when you start to, and if that word is too intimidating, you know, closing your eyes for one minute and focusing on your inhale and your exhale, when you start to tap into, into that silence and that stillness, then all of a sudden the ways to become that best version of yourself start to become more apparent. You know, you start to connect with yourself. You start to connect with source energy. And then when you open your eyes, all of a sudden little things do start to shift and, and nothing's changed, you know, around you, but something's changed in you. And then when mm. you go back out into the world, you say, hmm, you know, someone had mentioned this farm share that I can, you know, be a member of. And, and it opens yourself up to, to new possibilities and, and, and some new foods. Or, you know what, my schedule has changed where I can get a walk-in, you know, midday and, and start to exercise in a way that would work for my lifestyle instead of, just, you know, out in the world seeking on the internet, hmm, how can I get into the best shape or how can I, you know, get in the best state of health? I mean, I think we, we're just so, there's so much information that is available to us. And I think just knowing how to integrate it and how to utilize all the things that are around us comes from tapping in. And then we know how to guide ourselves in the outward world, you know, like looking to the out the answers aren't there, but when we go in, we find the answers and then all of a sudden we open our eyes and then there's this new world that we can be a part of and find our way within. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Well, you know, it's uh, these days it, it can be um, somewhat challenging to navigate uh, because people have really strong opinions um, yeah. about what people should or shouldn't do. What I'm hearing from you is that, you know, when we recover our true selves, when we really tune in to that source within, that sometimes our thoughts or beliefs or decisions uh, in that connection versus, you know, somebody else that may think or choose or, you know, do something different um, that equally is is valid and um, that we can, you know, be in that place of co-creation um, and not make the other person wrong, you know? Yeah. Just, just be in that space because there's a lot of controversy out there, a lot of polarity and a lot of arguments and things like that. And um, I think, and, and it's a, a space that I, you know, have to pay attention to or choose to pay attention to every day is like getting triggered, you know, um, yeah. getting triggered when I see this or that or whatever. Um, and, and realize people have differing opinions from, uh, I think Deepak Chopra, although I'm not a fan of his at the moment, but <laughs> Deepak Chopra said that the, uh, you know, people are doing the, the best they can from the level of consciousness they're at. Exactly. So just, yeah, just learning to just let go and just, like you said, go within, work on our process uh, within and not dictate outside 
what you want to see change because you think it's better or that people should. And, and that's, a, that's a big learning. This is an evolving practice. I'm sure you'll agree with that. Yeah. Evolving practice for each of us in the spiritual realm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And notice when we're in that place of fear. And, you know, of course, the miracles describes the miracle as a shift from fear to love. So when we're in that, yep. when we're judging people, we're, we're in a state of fear. So yes. shifting back into love, and when we shift back into love, we, we transcend who's right and who's wrong. We transcend left yep. and right. We, we raise, you know, we, we go above it all, and we find a way to exist in the spiritual realm. And then when we know how to exist there, then we can exist, you know, in this non-spiritual realm and, and be a lot more effective in navigating it because we know it's not real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, Melissa, it's been a delight to uh, interview you today. I wish you all the best in your practice and your book and getting it out there and helping people maybe getting inspired to, to, you know, delve into their own true selves and maybe write their own book. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Thank you, Karen. This was really great. I love talking with you. Oh, well, same here. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of physical therapists. I have, uh, you know, friends in the area. I've learned so much from physical therapists, like in terms of my body and, and what, uh, I was really, I'm sure, you know, uh, missing in med school, <laughs> lots of data missing in med school. So your clients, patients are so, you know, uh, fortunate uh, to have you in their space and, and working with you uh, together. Wow, that that's fantastic. I'd love to have more people like you, <laughs> you know, helping out. Um, and because uh, people need that high high touch, high love um, place right now, and it's really important. So uh, just for everyone listening in, uh, melissamayer.org, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-M-E, sorry, M-A-Y-E-R.org, and then you can get her book uh, on uh, Amazon. We actually put that link. Um, if you're on the show page, you'll see it there. So thank you so much, Melissa, and uh, all the best to you. Lots of love. Thank you, Karen. Blessings to you. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. Until next time, big hugs. Bye for now. Bye.